0: A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there folks, I'm Amy Wright. Today I'm excited to share a conversation that I recently had with acclaimed Americana singer-songwriter, Cedar Edge Colorado Zone David Starr. Unable to tour his 2020 John Oates-produced album, Beauty and Ruin, Starr decided to record a set of cover songs that have inspired him over the years. Starting in November of 2020, with a cover of Every Kind of People by Robert Palmer, Starr consistently released one single a month, ending with the crown jewel of the project, One, by U2. Starr then assembled those covers into an album which he released as Touchstones, Today, we learn all about his Touchstone's journey, how he's been holding up through the pandemic, and a whole lot more. So let's get started. We're happy we got to catch up with David Starr. David, welcome to Diddy TV. Thanks for joining Thank us you. today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we love your music. Obviously, we've been playing your videos on, on Diddy and wanted to take the time to just catch up with you. Didn't really know much about your life and, and your. we wanted to talk about your new album Touchstones and uh, hear a little bit about that. But let's go back. Let's go back to when you actually got started, started, started in life. Um, You were were born in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Is that right? Or somewhere near there?
1: No, I was born right in Fayetteville, Arkansas in 1956. So I just turned 65.
0: 65. That's a good round um, number.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a milestone of sorts, speaking of touchstones and milestones, but I was born in Fayetteville, Arkansas, grew up there and lived there until I was about 24. Um, during that time, as it relates to my musical journey, my my older brother started taking guitar lessons at a local guitar store. He was three years older, and I had to do something that was like that, right? So uh, my mom let me take drum lessons, and, and uh, so I'm a drummer first and foremost. That's where I got started. And all through junior high, high school, college, I played in bands, whether it was guitar or drums, but mainly I was a singing drummer. You know, the uh, some of my people I looked up to were people like Levon Helm and the guy that, I forget his name, but he was a singer with Rare Earth. You know, he was a drumming, singing drummer. So there were some of those guys out there that I could relate to. But uh, at one point in the band, I ran the lights, I ran the sound and played drums and sang all at the same time. And <laughs> I don't know if I did any of them particularly well at that point. But uh, anyway, so I grew up in in a town influenced by uh, probably more than anything influenced by the Kate brothers who were good friends of mine growing up and uh, related to Levon tangentially. And and, uh, so it was a music town. And then I moved to Aspen, Colorado in 81 and played six nights a week for four years out there. I think that's what I did. It seems like that's what I did.
0: So uh, did Fayetteville have a music scene when you were growing up? Venues and such?
1: It it kind of did. I mean, it, it, there were some bands, like there was a band called river city that was out of uh, Memphis and, right. and Fayetteville. There were a lot of little rock bands, Tulsa bands. Um, yeah, it was, it, it felt like a music town. There were, there were a lot of local groups and bars to play and that sort of thing. So I, I, my mom dropped me off at my first bar gig when I was 14 and she said, don't drink. And I said, <laughs> okay, and I made up for that later, but, uh, but, yeah, it, was a, it felt like a really fertile place to, to learn music. You know, you were surrounded by good players. And, uh,
0: so I've talked, I've talked to a lot of musicians about this, but, you know, it's kind of sad to see some of the uh, schools, public schools, um, no longer fund their music programs. Right. And a lot of the musicians that I talk with say they got their start in school programs and playing in band. And, and um, did you benefit some, from some of those programs? or? <laughs>
1: Yes and no. When I was in, uh, when I was in high school, I, th- there was a, there was a group called the Cor- Fayetteville High Coralettes. And it was a little choral ensemble of maybe 12 or 14 girls. I don't remember. And they did the whole the dance moves. And they all had the matching pantsuit outfits and the whole thing. It was, uh, but the, the, the band leader or the band director there at the time was pretty, pretty, uh, had a lot of notoriety in the, in the country as somebody who, uh, Routinely produced really good cho- choirs and choral groups and a cappella choir and stuff. So somewhere along there, he he asked me to to play drums in that little group. So I did. And part of the part of the requirement is you had to also be an a cappella choir, which I would not do. And I was kind of the first one to say, "Not going to do it. I'll play the drums." Uh, so I got to do that. Prior to that, I actually got thrown out of eighth grade band because i just couldn't i couldn 't read music i couldn 't read that stuff and it's to this day i don 't read music at all um, so it 's almost a almost a learning disability thing. It feels like that to me i, I 've tried over the years, but I remember he stopped he stopped he stopped sixth period one day and just said, "Get out of my room you can't <laughs> and I was trying I swear I was trying but he so in a way that was motivation for me to figure out, okay, what do I do with this thing inside me that wants to create and, and be uh, musical? So, um, you know, I credit him with pushing me a little bit when he didn't mean to, you know?
0: Well, reading music has its positives and negatives. Uh, yeah. not reading music means that you really listen more with your ear. And, yes. uh, I mean, I'm a classical violinist. That was the way I grew up. And I went on to, you know, play with play fiddle, but it was a right. hard transition for me because where's my music? You know, I, I wanted to see, see it written out for me.
1: I, I worked in college. My mom was involved with the North Arkansas Symphony in their, in their fundraising and in development efforts. And one time they, they decided they wanted to try having a, a personnel manager. And it was a, a community slash school orchestra. So, you know, those you've got a group of people over here, or community members who, just want to play music for the love of it. Then you got people in college who have to do it or, or want to do it and have to do it. And so there's this sort of weird tension in the thing and everybody's trying to get to the same place, but they put me in, in charge of that group trying to herd those kittens, if you will. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget. They came down to hear me. A bunch of them came after a concert one night to hear me play in a bar and they came up and they said, man, this is cool, but where's your music? And I went, I said you could put that stuff in front of me. It looks like hieroglyphics. I don't I mean it, it 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 it's I'm very my math skills were never good as a kid and and I'm I think it's all part of the same part of your brain that you use, you know. So so I do listen and I'm I'm blessed that I can listen to something and go okay. I, I can mimic that a little bit and maybe nibble around the edges and improvise, you know. So
0: Ultimately being in a band, I think your ear is the most important thing that you you have because it's an ensemble in the end yeah you have yeah. to play together and you need to know exactly where you are in in the music and and be able to adjust and that's really all in your ear
1: yep yeah, i agree
0: so you were a child of the 60s so to speak i mean you were a child in the 60s yeah um, so you were pretty young but you were listening to music i'm assuming and mm-hmm. was That was a really pivotal pivotal musical time period, I think. Was there anything about the music in that time period that inspired you to want to be a musician, specifically?
1: Well, you know, as I mentioned, my brother was part of that and, and, and part of where we got to go hang out was in a guitar store on Saturdays, you know. Now that I've had a store for 24, 25 years... I recognize what a pain in the neck that must've been for the guy running the store. (laughs) But because these kids were hanging around and it was a, but it was, that was still kind of a new thing, you know, guitar stores. I have a friend in Little Rock who died a few years back, who had a store for many, many years in Little Rock. And he, he said he had an accordion store until the Beatles came along. And all of a sudden he had a guitar store because things changed. And I, I was really young when the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan, but I remember it. And that, we all wanted to be those guys. You can ask anybody that plays now just about, except for the Beatles and they'll tell you that's, that's it. But I remember listening to my brother's records. He had Buffalo Springfield stuff. He had the, um, there was the stuff that was, um, well, Beatles, Beatles, Buffalo Springfield, um, all of that stuff. And, and years later I got to, I got to Richie Furay sang on a couple of my songs on an album and it was like, I can't even believe this because I was listening to him when I was just a kid and really he was just a kid too, you know, but all that stuff gets wound into your psyche. And I don't think it ever goes away if you're paying attention.
0: Very true. And you said that you played in your first band at 14. Was that just the beginning and you you've been in bands ever since or.
1: I, I probably took a couple of years off in the, you know, in the interim to uh, after that, that four year period in, in Aspen, when uh, that was in the early eighties and let's, let's just say, well, I had a day job and I played in every band I could possibly play in just to stay busy and meet people and work. So I played drums. I played guitar. I would just sing, you know, it didn't matter. I took the gig because I wanted it really bad and I needed the money at the time. So I think after I moved back to little rock, Arkansas for 17 years, and there were a couple of years in there when I pursued other things, more suit and tie kinds of activities and didn't, didn't play in bands, but I always had some version of a home studio. Even before computer recording, I had an eight track reel to reel and a, a way to bounce tracks and do it. Cause I grew up learning how to do that. So the home recording thing is it tied me over a lot during those, those years.
0: So when you moved to Aspen, was it for skiing or music?
1: Well, at the time, my first wife was an art, had graduated from architecture school and she, she got a job out there. Somebody, she, her father had, had known people out there and she went out there and got a job and um so I could sort of i guess I followed her and i I was reluctant at first because I was afraid to kind of afraid to leave home. I'd never lived anywhere else, but once I got there and met some people um it it turned out to be one of the best moves ever and I've told her that you know i I was reluctant but but uh, getting back to the time that it was it i didn't I didn't rest much, let me put it that way, and I burned the candle at both ends and so in a way, when I finally moved away from there, it was okay to take a little time to regroup and, and work on my health and all that sort of thing. So you, even when you're young, you can wear yourself out.
0: So you were you moved back to Arkansas. Yep. And were you playing music and working at the same time? And what were you doing?
1: Uh, I went into the financial services business. And originally, it was, it was kind of, um, we went back there so she could work for her dad. And <laughs> you see a pattern <laughs> and, uh, and that's okay. You know, things work the way they work, but we had had a child by then and very difficult pregnancy there in Aspen and people helped came together as a community and got us through that. But we moved back there and I, I sort of put, put away the, the music thing for maybe a full year before I started thinking, I just, if I could just have a small recording studio and I got a couple of nice tape machines and some outboard gear and had my drum kit and some guitars and, and I got into to, uh, trying to meet some people there in town and eventually began to play a little bit. But it wasn't I wasn't playing anything near the, the number of nights a year that that I was when I lived in Aspen. It just well, you you couldn't, you know, they're just in a ski town, any kind of resort town. It just back then anyway, That just never stopped, you know. So
0: my husband, Ronnie, when I met him, he was living in Telluride, Colorado. Yeah. And uh Pretty much every night there was something going on in Telluride, yeah. every night of the that's, year.
1: That's just two hours down the road from where I am.
0: Oh, really? Where are you now?
1: I'm in Cedar Edge, Colorado. You know where Montrose is?
0: Yes, I know where Montrose is.
1: I'm 40 minutes north of Montrose.
0: Oh, that's so, such a beautiful area.
1: Yep. It's the best part of the state, in my opinion.
0: Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I can picture it, actually. Yep.
1: South, we're on the south face of Grand Mesa which is the largest flat top mountain in the world. So when I look out my window from my house in the afternoon, I can see the San Juans. I can see pretty much see Telluride from where I am. Just think of it that way.
0: Oh, beautiful. Well, I know you were involved. I read that you were involved in getting an arts center up, arts center set up for Grand Mesa.
1: Well, everything around here has Grand Mesa in front of it Mm -hmm. because that's just the thing, you know, it'd be like the Beale Street, this or the, you know, uh, Mud Island, whatever down there where you are, but, uh, my wife and I, she, she she had never hung out with a musician before, but she and I had gone to school together since seventh grade. We knew each other, but we'd never dated or anything. And we, her name was Smith and mine star. So we were in the same homeroom and all that. But anyway, years later, we get together and, and she starts kind of following me around. And she would sit in the back of a room, a listening room, hopefully, uh, house concert, small venue, whatever, and watch people. Uh, react as I did my stories and song thing. And she, you know, I might say something that was uh, moderately humorous and hopefully people laugh. And she would notice how they react and go, you know, nodding in agreement or whatever. Yeah, I've had that experience, whatever that might be. And so one day she said, you know, we need a dedicated place in Cedar Edge like that. And so there's a building, an old building built in 19... four or six across the street from me. And it's been a bank and a lot of other things. Long story short, we put together with a group of people, a nonprofit, and uh, we called it the Grand Mesa Arts and Events Center. And half the building is a performance space that we can seat about 160, 170 people in in folding chairs. And then during the week, it's used for dance and yoga and other things. It has a nice stage and sound and lights. Then the other half of the building is gallery space, teaching space and a small office and green room. So um, we, we were involved in that. I don't want to take credit for it because it, it took a village, you know, but um, it's really made a difference in this little town, in my opinion, because we're able to bring, you know, anybody from like somebody like me to Carla Bonoff, to John Oates has been out here a couple of times and I'm working on getting him back and, you know, just singer songwriters, given them a, a venue. We've done community theater, children's theater, um, it's meeting space, all that stuff it becomes a hub.
0: Oh yeah. It becomes a major hub for any community to have the arts yeah. be that central. Well, kudos to you guys for getting that Thanks. set up. And, um, so you own a guitar store where you are now, but you started that in Little Rock or.
1: Yeah, there, there was a, I don't know if you ever make it to Little Rock, but there's a part of town called the River Market District. And it was, when I put my store down there, it was in 1998, it was a new thing. And that was going to be the new part of town. And it was, and it was daring. And I didn't know really what I was doing, even though I collected guitars. I, the whole retail thing was sort of a, I was making it up as I go, you know. So I was there three years and made a lot of mistakes, did some things right. But at the end of that three years, the place, had that area had become to really kind of blossom. So the owner of my building came to me and said, your rent's doubling. and I, And, by, and in the meantime, I'd come out here and found a piece of land in this area. And I went, "That's my sign from the universe to just go, and so I moved to this small town and if you If you drove into this town and walked into this store, you'd go what what is this store doing in this little town but But it was sort of that build it and they will come mentality, and I've done online business as well over the years, but combination of things, you know people will seek out the stuff that they like and that they're passionate about, and guitars are one of those things. And so people will come in and go, I've heard about this place and I had to see it, you know, so we get a lot of that.
0: Well, next time I'm in Colorado, I'm stopping by. (laughs) Well,
1: you must, you must.
0: So what made you start a guitar store in the first place?
1: I was sick of doing what I was doing. And, and, you know, as a, as a creative person, you, you may know this, you may not play classical music all the time, but what you do as a, creative person with Diddy TV and that whole enterprise, it's all part of that same drive to do something creative. And, and some days make something out of nothing. You know, it's like I wanted to create something where there wasn't anything. And that's, that's fulfilling. It's equally frustrating some days, but uh, it's a guitar store. I I looked around my house originally and I had about 60 guitars that I bought and some were worth some money. Some weren't, they were just weird and oddball pieces, you know. But one day I thought what am I going to do to change the course of things and I thought, well, I spend all the time worrying about and fussing with this stuff. Maybe that's what I ought to do. So again, lost some money along the way, made some mistakes, but ultimately it's been a good experience.
0: So what's the name of the store?
1: Stars Guitars.
0: Stars Guitars. Oh, it rhymes too.
1: <laughs> well, it, one day I was sitting around thinking, I don't know what am I going to call it? What am I going to call it? And somebody said, how about Stars guitars and I went it was kind of a duh moment but yeah it made (laughs) sense
0: so you're playing in bands when were you when did you put out your first album
1: I didn't put out an album until I moved out here in 2001 but I had some recordings I'd done um along the way in my little home studio in Little Rock and then I moved out here and um recorded on a couple of different devices Uh, you've been around this stuff long enough to know that you record on one piece of gear and then the and then the technology changes and it's been a lot the same for several years but i had tape i had adats i had hard disk recording machines one day i finally said i'm just going to take a bunch of that stuff put it on a disc, and i would played all the instruments um and i just put it on a cd pressed them myself and did this homemade thing and i've actually been listening to a lot of that lately because i'm i'm slowly re the ones i like And putting the other ones to pasture, you know, um, where they belong. But I felt like if I could just do an album and say I've got an album, then that would put me on some sort of path and hold me accountable, maybe uh, for doing a second one or a third or whatever. And so I did three of them like that. And there's some moments on them that are I'm actually real proud of and some that are like, what were you thinking, you know, but that's the way with any endeavor, I think.
0: So when you put out your first album, was that the culmination of music you've been writing for many, many years? Or was it something you just set out to do right at that point in time?
1: No, no, it was a, it was a number of, where there were a number of songs from, I think there's a song on there from 1993. and Anything prior to that, I'm not crazy about, so I've kind of let those go away. But, uh, you know, I always hear people talking about the first song they ever wrote. You're never going to hear the first song I ever wrote. I don't even know what I did with it but it's just as well that it went away.
0: Well, people also talk about songwriting as a craft and you get better and better at it. And so, you know, and also musical tastes and you know, you change over time. So Well, and
1: it and, and I I went if I fast forward a little bit in in 2013 I went down to Nashville and and recorded what were going to be demos, right? Because uh I thought well I've never done that whole thing where I go down there cut some demos according to whatever spec that, you know, they they sort of ascribe to down there. It's got to be three minutes and all that stuff. And then shop them around and see if anybody cares. And recorded six, nobody cared. So I recorded six more and turned that into an album. So that, that set me on a course of, hey, I can go to Nashville and do this as well as anybody, as long as you're willing to pay for it yourself, you know, which is how you control things anyway. So... Um, and that that set me on a whole different course and gave me a, a level of confidence and direction I didn't have before.
0: well one of the albums that you put out, I thought was really interesting because it was based on a novel that mm-hmm. your grandfather wrote. Did you read the novel as a kid growing up or did you read it later in life?
1: I read that just a few years ago and, and I my grandfather and I were good friends. I spent a lot of time with him. he taught me to ride horses and do all these things and he was a big part of my life growing up, um, and I knew he wrote books. And he would go to he would go to a craft fair or to, uh, in the case of a place like Memphis, Memphis and May or whatever, any kind of place he could set up a table or a booth, and he would sell these books. and And the early ones were little folklore tales of the the Northwest Arkansas hills and and, and kind of folk stuff, kind of John, uh, kind of Mark Twainish kind of things. And then later on, he wrote he wrote a novel and it came out in 72 and he died kind of abruptly the next year of a heart attack, I think. And so I couldn't read him. It it was it was upsetting for me to go back and read him. And I didn't realize I was still processing, you know, losing him and all that. But uh, fast forward to about seven, eight years ago, I read his last book and it's a novel uh, set in southwest Arkansas about family dysfunction and, and tragedy and kind of there's kind of a whodunit wrapped up in there and i thought there are songs in here so about four years ago this last month as a matter of fact john oates and his wife and and my wife and i all went to to dinner on my birthday i was going to be in town and john said i'll take you to dinner on your birthday like, sure okay so i had done another project with john and i knew him knew him from people out here and we'd met and played a little together. And so I handed him a copy of that book. It was old tattered copy. I got off Amazon and he said, what is this? And I said, read that. And you tell me if there are songs in there. And I knew the answer to that, you know? So two days later he calls and that's pretty quick for him. Cause he's a busy guy. And I didn't expect that quick turnaround. And he read the book. It's the easy read. He said, this is great. What do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to give this book to, a number of songwriters and and then let them write and co-write and do however we want to create these songs, and then he finished the sentence by saying, "And we do a concept album built around it. know it there you go so that's what we did.
0: so it has to be sort of gratifying um, to see the result of all that was was the process really fun to go through working with all the other musicians on the songs and
1: it it was the most Getting back to those three albums I did by myself, that was just me in a room. Maybe it was therapy. I don't know what it was, but I was afraid to collaborate. I didn't know how to reach out and do that. And I wasn't surrounded by collaborative an environment like that at the time. So that that particular experience was the most gratifying experience of collaborating I've ever had because there were multiple writers. Um, we reprinted the book and that was all done with people in Nashville Uh, John was the producer on it and he he and I co-write about four or five songs on the thing. It, yeah, it was really gratifying. Um, We're currently talking about making a movie out of it, out of the book. Um, We're kind of working in that direction. So it's one of those things that my only regret about any of it is I wish I could go back and ask my granddad, how much of this crazy stuff actually happened in your life to you because there's some pretty dark stuff in there, and some pretty interesting characters. You know, I'll never know, but uh, we can speculate, I guess.
0: And what's the name of the book?
1: The book is of what was, comma, nothing is left. And then the album that came out that goes with it is called Beauty and Ruin, which is the title cut that Dana Cooper and I wrote. And the bottom line of the the bottom line of the the title really is that it, I guess that if we're not careful. The things that we that we hold dear and that are precious to us can be frittered away through our own selfishness or inattention or any number of it's it's about humanity and being and how we're all very, very human and we're flawed and all that stuff. And it it's it's heavy in places, you know, Uh, Irene Kelly wrote for it with me and she and I write together. She said it reminded her of a a southern weathering heights, (laughs) which I loved, you know, he'd love that.
0: I was going to say that's a really big compliment. Yeah, he'd probably be, be very proud to see all, all the uh, songs that came out of his book as well.
1: I'd like to think so. I mean, he was a humble guy um, and he he didn't really work towards having a lot of success. But it, what occurs to me, Amy, is that he was doing the same thing in his life that people like me are doing. The idea that he would go to some little library and sell this book at a at a card table for $2 and sign it for people is really no different than me playing a coffee house and then selling CDs off the stage in the, during the break. I mean, it's a similar thing and it's all about, you'll go where you can to express your creativity and get that to people who might, you know, who might like it and who might embrace it. So um, I was struck by the similarity and maybe, maybe that's been that way forever and it just took me a while to figure it out.
0: Well, obviously he was an artist and novelist is an artist. You're an artist. Yeah. And uh, artists typically are driven to, to do something with their art. It doesn't matter on what level, but it stays with you throughout your life. It doesn't matter sure. whether it becomes your career or it doesn't become your career. Just sort of hanging on to that part of your person, I think most artists do.
1: Yep, I agree.
0: Let's talk about Touchstones, because that's, okay. that's your latest album. And yep. why did you call it Touchstones?
1: sort of a quick a quick why did I do it in the first place is is sort of an order which is during when the pandemic began and everybody there was so much uncertainty about where that was all going to go and we can all look back now and go okay we've well first of all I'd like to think we'd all would have handled it a little better than we have some of us but we are where we are but at the time I didn't know where it was going and and I had one song in the works I'd kind of been messing with, but nothing really to, to call a project. And I've got a nice home studio and my, my wife was sort of stuck in Hawaii, which is a horrible thing.
0: Terrible for uh, her, by the way. <laughs> I know
1: she has a son on the Island of Kauai and, and uh, two grandkids. So she had gone out there to visit and planes kept getting canceled and canceled and canceled. And so I sort of settled in for two months, just me and the wow. dog and, and ran the store when it was open. And anyway, that, What happened was for me, I didn't feel I I didn't feel settled enough to write anything. I just didn't know what direction to go. You know, and some people I was talking to online would say, yeah, I'm having that same sort of it's just this weird thing in the atmosphere. They don't know what to do. So I'd always wanted to do cover songs because that's what I grew up doing. I mean, I didn't we didn't grow up playing original music, frat parties and dance halls don't want to hear that. They want to hear we played our average white band and. Earth, Wind, and Fire and um, Of course, you know, Bob Seeger and all that stuff that's dance music. And so I made a list and I thought, okay, what are some songs that um that lyrically just knock me out? Maybe they're just fun to play on the guitar. Maybe I grew up just rocking to them. Maybe they touch me in a way now that they didn't when I first heard them because I've been through life more and I've been married a couple of times more and all that, you know. So I made this expansive list and then I whittled it down to 10, 11, 12 songs. The Touchstones title came from a friend of mine named Tracy Yee, who had uh, helped with a little bit on my, uh, not a little bit, quite a bit on the, the Beauty and Ruin book club thing online. And we were kind of chatting back and forth one day and she said, what about Touchstone tracks? And I said, I like that, but I might shorten it. And so I have to give her full credit for touchstones because it was things that along the way you you sort of bump into the, and you can mark time with. I guess is the the best way to look at it, and that's kind of the way I the way I view it.
0: So, hence the cover songs that mark points in time for you that you included yeah. on the on the album.
1: Yeah, and maybe maybe not even chronological time mm-hmm. or, or or time as that kind of construct, but just. Time in my uh, development, my mental state, whatever you know, where I was at any given time.
0: Well, I know the choices are—they're beautiful songs, and I can't wait for everyone to hear the album. But they're a little bit on the melancholy side, and that was that a result of of um, being in a pandemic and just you know where you are were at the time and.
1: Maybe. And maybe now that you've said that, maybe there's songs I wish I'd written, you know,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. aren't they all right? Right. Uh, um, You know, a song like Jackson Brown's uh, These Days, that the simplicity of it, um, there's no real there's no real chorus. There's no big bridge. There's it's just and he wrote it when he was 16 years old, you know, so the depth of a song like that and the way it touches people every time I play it. Or every time he plays it, I'm sure, um, you know that was important. The, the, there's a U2 song on there uh, called "One," and that's one of those. Every time it comes on a radio, I turn it up a little bit because man, the, there are some lines in there that just knock me out that Bono wrote, I, I suppose. So, and, and then there's a there's a old blues tune that we adapted and put on there. That's just I just want to play something fun, you know. But yeah, the melancholy thing, I'm not, I'm not. Known for writing, uh, you know, jolly songs. <laughs> I, I want to sometimes, but it's just not in the wiring, I don't think.
0: Well, I like a good, sad song, but these are also just very inspiring songs. I, I guess really the, the thing that I thought of when I was listening to the album is that they were inspiring and thought-provoking, and they they brought up in a certain amount of emotion and, yeah. in all these songs. And you did include, actually, one of your originals. Yes. And tell me about that and why that particular song was included on the album.
1: It's called Cabo San Lucas, which is, of course, the place down in the Baja Peninsula. My dad had a house down there on the coast. One of the few remaining pieces of private property, there was this row of houses and there was a company that he was with that owned a couple of homes. And he he bought a house down there years and years ago before it was Cabo, you know, and when you could go down there and still get, you know. Uh, a meal for nine bucks or whatever with a drink. And we used to go down there and uh, and we had pretty good time. You know, it was go down there and go out at night. We had a, access to a 58 foot fishing boat and a crew and we'd go out and uh, catch fish. And I'm not a big person to vacation, but that's in my life. That's kind of what, what I did for vacation a few times. And, and I, when I started writing that song, I was thinking about how, um, not that I got my heart broken there, but that a place like that can be, you know, like I left my heart in San Francisco or New York, New York, or meet me in, was it St. Louis or Chicago? My Anyway, how a place can be the focus of a certain emotion. And in this case, heartache. And if you had never gone there, you wouldn't have experienced whatever emotion that was. So I sort of used that as a catalyst and, That song got me through because I was I was I worked on recording that in my studio and and then I sent all the tracks down to to Nashville and everybody redid them. You know, the only remaining thing on that song that I recorded originally was my guitar solo, which I got lucky on because it was a pretty good one and I could never do it again if I had to.
0: (laughs) It's a really good one.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was for me. I'm not a great solo player, but.
0: Well, I always wonder about vacations and love in the first place, because people who go all year long and they can't find anybody, they'll go on vacation and then <laughs> they fall in love with someone in a completely different city. So it's always a wonder what that, what's, what that's about in our psyche.
1: That's interesting. And I think it has to do with where you are and that it's, it gets you out of your, I don't know if it, I don't know if you get there and you're who you really are or you get there and you become this other person you want to be or yeah, that's a, interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Um, But uh, yeah, I just use that place as it could have been any place, but that's a beautiful place or it used to be anyway.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. I've only been there once, but I thought it was just beautiful. And of course, I guess part of the year you can go well watching there. And
1: that's our house used to look out on the Sea of Cortez. And in March, the whales are, you know, it's yeah. That's all of what was nothing is left. We don't have that anymore.
0: So, right. Well, who produced it and where did you record it?
1: Uh, I produced that with my friend Mark Prentice, and then uh, we we had to give credit, rightfully so, to David Kalmuski, who runs Addiction Studios in Nashville. Addiction is a studio that's owned by uh, by Jonathan Kane, who's a keyboard player with Journey, and that's his, his studio, and so Oates introduced me to, to Kalmuski originally, and that's how I started using that studio, and that's where I'll be a week from today, because we're going going to start another project that I have no idea what we're doing, but we're going to do it anyway.
0: Oh, well, that's always fun. Yeah. You can make it up as you go.
1: Yes. Typically.
0: Are you going to actually write the songs in the studio on this next one?
1: No, I've got, I got about three written. There's one, a friend of mine named Eric Stuckey and his pal, Bob Ray wrote. Uh, And then I think I'm going to, I'm going to dig deep on a couple of those first two albums we talked about. And there there's one that's actually kind of cheerful. You'll be pleased to know. I may I may resurrect. I told you
0: I like sad songs, David. Well, I'm I'm
1: doing it for balance for the people. Amy. (laughs) It's for the people. Okay. Um, I'll never forget the first the first time my mother heard that first album that I did. And I was I was maybe not in the best place when I wrote some of that stuff. But, you know, you're you're down under that that wet blanket or whatever of depression or or whatever it is. And you don't see what that stuff sounds like necessarily. She called me. She said, why are you so sad? (laughs) I said, I'm not sad. She said, Oh yeah, you're sad. (laughs) but, but uh, you know, it's it's just stuff you go through and you write about it. And uh, I was honest at the time about that sort of thing. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to resurrect a couple of those those old songs and maybe we'll, we'll cut six songs. And if we like all of them, we'll call that an EP and do something with it. But I don't really know why I'm doing it, except it just feels like time to do something.
0: Well, I think we're all kind of coming back out of this pandemic and, and at least a lot of people I've spoken to feel very inspired to do something.
1: Yeah, and, and it, I know it's, it's felt really good to play for people again. You know, we, we played Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, uh, 1st of December uh, in Nashville. We had a little CD release party that, you know, th- this Touchstones was never supposed to be a CD. It was going to be 12 songs that we released, one a month online, just to have something to do, right? That would be an inexpensive, easy way to do it. But no, we had to do a video with each one, which you all have, thankfully, you've you've aired them. Uh, So that's 12 videos we did. And then I kept getting bugged about a disc. So I thought, well, what's the harm in that? Well, the only harm in that was you had to pay for that and you had to relicense everything because those are all covers. Oh, man. So I relicensed everything again for physical as well as digital release. So no regrets, but it's, it, it turned into a bigger thing than it was supposed to or maybe it was supposed to. I don't know.
0: So what's next for you? Are you going to be touring or getting yourself out there? What's, what's going on?
1: I've got, I've got some stuff booked for, for 2022. I'm going to, I'm going to play a, an official showcase, Folk Alliance. Um, I'll get to go back to Scotland and England for the first time in, in a couple of years and tour over there. I've got some stuff down in Texas. I'll do, uh, some things over in the Denver area. So before the pandemic, I was doing 150 nights a year, which is a lot for an old guy to do. Plus have a, a business. I have someone who helped me run the business, but, um, so I'll probably throttle that back a little bit, but I want st- to, I mean, I'm to stay in the, in the race, you know, it feels good. And I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody but me, but, uh. I, I'm I'm grateful to have people like you doing what you're doing and uh, who embrace people that do what I do, you know, and I, I'm very grateful for that, you know, so I'll keep, I'll keep coming up with content. How's that?
0: That sounds amazing. And then I'm yeah. coming out to, uh, to your store in Colorado with my camera and I'm yeah. going to do a little piece on your store. How about that?
1: You know, I would not fight you on that at all. I think that would be great. And we can I can show you the art center. I can We can go up and shoot some stuff on the Mesa. It's a its a beautiful place, and uh, I'd invite anybody to come out here. I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, it's nice. Stay away. No, come see us. It's If for nothing else, it's just a beautiful place to be. But uh, um, it's a great place to shoot footage, and we'd, we'd love to see you in person.
0: That would be great. Best of luck with Touchstones and your next Thank you. project. So great to have you, and come see us in Memphis sometime.
1: All right, thanks for all you do.
0: Thanks, David. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Colorado-based singer-songwriter David Starr, the great mind behind the delightful and poignant new covers album, Touchstones. To learn more about David and what he's up to, and to purchase Touchstones, Beauty and Ruin, or any of his other recent albums, visit davidstarmusic.com. And remember, you can visit diddytv.com for more exclusive, on-demand content and download the official free Diddy TV app from your app store today.